Hello, and welcome to Voices from the Village, a podcast from the Wyoming Early Childhood Professional Learning Collaborative. We know it takes a village to raise a child, and Wyoming Early Childhood Educators, as an essential part of that village, this podcast is for you. I'm your host at the University of Wyoming, Nikki Baldwin, and today will be our first ever sister podcast interview. I can't wait for you all to meet three sisters I've come to know as I've worked at the university and in the state of Wyoming in early childhood. I will introduce them in the order I met them. So that means I'm starting with Janae. Janae Acey is a small business owner in Green River, Wyoming, where she runs a family home childcare program. Janae's a former student, and to be totally honest, she's one of my favorite students of all time. So I've kept in contact with Janae since she graduated from UW and have recently tapped her expertise as a member of the development team for the new Wyoming Early Learning Standards, which we will be releasing in January. I met Janae's sister, Sarah, and her amazing family a few years ago. Sarah Pence is a pharmacist in Laramie, Wyoming, and a mom of three fantastic children. Sarah was a member of the committee that created Wyoming's Coherent Path to Quality, a document we wrote about a year ago. We knew we wanted parents to be involved in the creation of that document and learned so much from Sarah about how families can use the resources we are creating in our state. This summer, I was thrilled to find out that there's a third sister who just happens to also be working in early childhood in Wyoming, as I was introduced to Anna Sibbett, an early childhood special education teacher in Casper, Wyoming. I have the pleasure of having Anna as a student in the early childhood special education program at UW currently, and have really enjoyed getting to know her better this fall. So three sisters, all connected to early childhood in the state. How cool is that? Uh, I could not resist bringing them together to talk about what it means to care for and teach our youngest children. So ladies, thank you so much for joining me today. Welcome. Thank you for asking us. Yeah. It's great to have you here. Um, let's just let people get to know a little bit more about you. So I wanted to just have each of you take a minute and just talk about how you ended up here. And you can answer that any way you want, but I said, well, do in the same order that I introduced you. Janae, how'd you end up here? How'd you end up in early childhood? What brought you to your professional choices that you're making and sort of why we've ended up still working together? Just tell us a little bit about you. So I, I've always loved little children. Um, unlike my sisters, I was the big babysitter of the family. And so <laughs> that was something I always enjoyed doing for other people. When I went to college, I actually started studying accounting and I found out everything I liked about that computers do. So I didn't really feel like they needed me. During that time, I decided to go back to something I knew I had a passion for. And so I entered the, a minor program in early childhood education and it was amazing and really showed me that like I wanted to follow my passion instead of a career that maybe could make more money. And so as I learned and studied there, it just really drove me to want to work with young children. And then as I have had children of my own, I have four that just strengthened that all the more. And so as I've babysat off and on, and then when we finally moved to Green River, we dug in deep and went through the process of turning our home into an in-home childcare. And it's been wonderful. I love it. I love having the kids come in and the challenges that it presents and also just the amazing growth that for me and for the kids that I get to work with. Thanks, Janae. How about you, Sarah? You're a pharmacist. How'd you end up here? Uh, <laughs> I'd love to know your thoughts other than that. We lo I love your brain and your experience. <laughs> but um, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, I appreciate it. I think Janae, when Janae mentioned that she's the one who actually loved babysitting, like I never... Um, was very interested in little kids until I had one of my own and just realized 
like I just had no idea how much goes into these little brains and what you can teach them and what an impact you have at home, which can go beyond anywhere else. And so as I've had, I have three kids, as you mentioned before, and with each one, just noticing how they're different. And it's become a passion of mine that I found that there's no um, outside work that I've done that I love more than being able to be with my kids and helping them learn and um, making an impact on the world based on what I can teach them. Thanks. Hey, will you tell us a little bit too about how you've navigated working and finding places for your kids that you're really happy with? Um, lessons learned from any of that? Um, lots of lessons learned. We, <laughs> we love, I've always had strong feelings about having my kids in my own home and having them be raised in their own environment and not at a facility. And so we have always looked for in-home nannies, which for us, we live in Laramie, Wyoming, which is full of college students who are often early childhood education majors. And so they, they love kids and they love the opportunity. And so we have been through a lot of different childcare. Um, we call them nannies, but mm -hmm. we've had good experiences and bad experiences and learned a lot as to what we need to ask and what we actually value most as parents in someone who's spending time with our children, I've always, I've worked part-time. And so it's been, we've found a balance between myself and my husband and um, an outside childcare provider. And then we also um, just in the past couple of years have started to use in-home daycare facilities like what Janae runs, because I love um, just more of that personal interaction that you can get when it's a home and, and less kids. So we've had some really good experiences with a few uh, ladies who have income daycares in Laramie as well. That's great. Thanks. Then you've lived with the stress of having to make a change, not knowing uh, the care situation for your kids. And just that that's so hard on families um, to have to go through that every time there's a change, right? It's like you're losing sleep. Yes. No, that's so real. That really is. It's one of the, the hardest things about it, where sometimes it's like, do I even bother going to work? Because it's so hard to, <laughs> to navigate that and figure yeah figure that out, but it, we found a really good balance. Yeah. Thanks, Sarah. How about you, Anna? Tell us a little bit about you and how you ended up here. So I did do some babysitting in <laughs> my teenage years. Um, <clears throat> I didn't really enjoy the babysitting, but I loved the kids. So I actually started out in psychology. I wanted to be a family counselor. And after about a semester, I still loved it, but realizing how much more schooling that would take, um, I started to look into different avenues because I ultimately wanted to be a wife and a mom. So my good friend there that um, in college, she was in the early childhood education program. And so I started listening to what she was doing and I thought, oh, that'd be really cool. So I decided to just start taking some classes and I loved them. And then as I got into the practicums and stuff like that, loved it even more. So I got my associates in early childhood and my goal was to move on and to get into edu um, the education for elementary. And I did one semester of that and I was like, no, thank you. I love the littles, let me go back. So I have my degree, it's the family consumer science, child development, and then I have my endorsement in early childhood. And so I've taught preschools um, on and off for six years doing that and then being a mom in between. And um, when my son was about oh, two, I think, he still was not really talking. So I took him in to get screened 
and um, he qualified for services. So we had an interventionist come out and work with him. And I thought, this is my dream job. <laughs> this is what I want to do. And so it took a while. I kept teaching in preschools, but we recently just moved to Casper, Wyoming, and there was an interventionist position available. And so I applied and that is what I've been doing since July. And I absolutely love it. I feel like I have found my place. So that's amazing. So exciting when you can feel that. Yes. That's great. Um, well, uh, for our listeners also, and maybe uh, Janae and Annie, you should know this too. The reason you're all here is Sarah's fault because the other day uh, <laughs> she and I were talking and she shared that you all get together on Sundays and have mm -hmm. like a sister chat. And just talk about ideas, you read an article and talk about that or other things. And that's just been floating around in my brain. It's the coolest thing ever. And then thinking about, I want to talk to some people about developmentally appropriate practice. It totally came to mind. I thought, well, I'll just like hop in on one of those sister chats um, and just listen to what you all do. So that's honestly uh, why we're here. And I'm excited for our listeners to be able to listen into some of that too, as we talk about some ideas. Um, we are going to talk today about the NAEYC position statement on developmentally appropriate practice. These ladies have read it, they use it, um, and they have some opinions about that we'll definitely share. And I can't wait to hear about. Um, and then we're also going to respond to my recent interview um, that started off season three of this podcast with Camille Catlett. And she's an expert in early childhood education. And she was talking about that developmentally appropriate practice statement too. So we'll listen to some things Camille had to say and we'll talk about that as well. So here we are for the sister chat. I'm calling it that. I don't know what you all call it. The sister chat is great. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was thinking about the things you've, you've experienced in your lives in this phase of your lives with having kids and work and those things. And I wondered if you all would just start us off with how your perspectives about young children have changed in the last several years. Anyone want to jump in with thoughts about that? Oh, I'll jump in. I, it's been so crazy to me, like with each progressive, each child that I have, um, how different each one of them are and thinking like, I know what I'm doing, well, not completely, but I have a hang of what I'm doing with my first child. And then the next one comes along and they are a different human being and knowing the things that work with them and just discovering how um, individual each child is and what you can do, like the general places where you can start. And then once you get to know them, it's really fun for me to, to build off of the creativity of what your child loves. And that's my favorite way to help them learn. That's something that I've really has changed as I have added more children to my family and as they grow older and they're dynamic with each other. Mm -hmm. I love that. Thanks, Sarah. Thoughts, ladies? I think for me, um, along with what Sarah was saying, I, each one of them are different. And it was fun, like, it was fun reading this DAP for the second time because <laughs> after going through some classes and more experience in work, I was like, oh, okay. Like it even connected even more for me, but mm -hmm. the importance of play and exploration. I feel like um, for me personally, I just kind of let my kids, there's boundaries, but I also just let them have at it. And it, there might be a mess and that's fine. We'll clean it up later. I love watching kids explore and seeing what they can do. I know that definitely from like my oldest is 13, I have three kids and to my youngest who's seven, my perspective has changed a lot on how kids need to be allowed to 
feel their feelings and express their feelings. They need to be allowed to grow and to learn. And sometimes that just means you either you sit back and you guide instead of tell them exactly. And so I feel like that's something that's really evolved for me from my first child to my last. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Anna. Um, this is a question I've actually had on my mind a lot this last year. And I feel like the DAP does the perfect job of expressing some of what I've been thinking. So as I, as I was reading this, Um, my favorite word that they use is value and they use it over and over that we value children. And I think that that's where my perspective has grown the most. And the word that I like to use um, in conjunction with that or kind of to replace it is the word honor. And so that's something that I've been trying really hard to focus on is how can I honor children? Because I feel like those words, honor, um, respect, value are terms that we often use for people that we feel like have a lot of knowledge or experience. And so we revere them for that. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we take that perspective with children and acknowledge how wonderful they are, that our perspective can change from um, I'm the entertainer and I have to keep them busy mm-hmm. to I value you and what you do and what you love. And I wanna help you explore and grow and learn more. And so for me, I think that that's been a really awesome way to just transition how I look at children and what I do with children to be a more individual and more of looking at them, who they are and recognizing like, I value you for who you are and what you can do. Yeah, that's really powerful. Um, Let's do dig into that a little bit more because you're right. That's throughout that whole document. Um, There's so many good things about how we see children how we approach children that challenge uh, certain cultural assumptions that are just out there about kids and their helplessness or what their needs are. Um, let's do, just take a minute, think about, why don't you each just share it, something that you found in that DAP document that's really resonated the most with you. And uh, you can always just jump in and respond to a sister's comment too. <laughs> More like a chat. Yes. Let me, do, let me say this for our listeners. Um, the Developmentally Appropriate Practice Position Statement um, is a document that NAYC produced and released um, just at the just right when COVID started, this latest edition of it. Um, it came out originally in the 80s. I remember discovering it in the mid-90s when I started my early childhood career and um, being blown away by that document. And it was honestly, for some background, it was created in response to the fact that there were things happening with young children um, in kindergartens and in preschools that uh, were not appropriate uh, for where we know kids are at developmentally and um, a real push for academics at the time. So it was created in response to that ages ago. Um, And then it has been revised over the years. And this most recent recent revision um, is pretty exciting because it has some new pieces that we really love. And just so you know how it's laid out, as we talk about it, they talk about um, three, there's three sections of the document. They talk about core considerations, three key core considerations that we'll dig into. And then there's principles of child development and learning. So like the meat, what do we know about young children? What does the research show us? And then they have guidelines, which are, here's some recommendations given all these things that we know about children, about how we should do things with them and how they and how we should teach them. So um, that's how the document's laid out. But anyway, back to my original question for you all, what resonates most with you? I have a few different things, so mm-hmm. I probably I'll bring up one, and then I'm sure you guys will bring up other ones, and we'll just <laughs> sure. play it. So this idea that children are active learners from birth, and they use that information to create meaning in their life, 
And I think sometimes, at least for me as a originally, like as an adult, you just see children as like, oh, they're little and they don't get it and they won't understand. And so sometimes we, or perhaps me give them a, like a disadvantage because you don't use all of the explanation and the, the tools and all of the things she's like, oh, you're just little and you won't get it. But that opportunity, I, um, one of my, two of my children, they were, had the opportunity to teach, have, be taught by a preschool teacher who was very good at, I'm sure there's a beautiful technical term for it, but she would over explain everything. So say they're doing their butterfly unit and they're, they have the little caterpillars and they're watching them change and turn to their chrysalis and go into a butterfly. And they're talking about the life cycle of a butterfly. And I can remember her talking about a butterfly and how it has a proboscis and that's what it uses to drink from a flower and it's by capillary action. And so these are things that I don't think normally you would start talking about with three and four year olds, but she's giving them the basics and the things that they all can soak in. And then you have some kids that are, they're, I mean, all kids, they're just sponges. And so mm -hmm. I remember my son coming home and being like, look, mom, this works by capillary action. <laughs> that just come out of my four-year-old's mouth. But just knowing that uh, the, sometimes I feel like I underestimate children because they are active learners and their brains are just ready to soak in whatever you can share with them. And so it's, it's okay to talk more <laughs> and share more mm -hmm. than maybe what you originally would think a little human would take in. Yes. Good. Other thoughts? I, I'm <laughs> like looking at Janae. Um, I really like right in the statement of the position um, when it talks about educators who engage in developmentally appropriate practice, foster young children's joyful learning. And I just love that word engage because I think that's what it really comes down to is that as the adults in children's lives, like we can, we can have all this really awesome information, but if we don't actually engage in it, which means like us being on their level, doing it with them, recognizing what they can do now and where you want them to go, like that it's a, it's something that we have to be really dive deep into as adults to make it really meaningful. And in the sentence before it calls it that that's how you create quality and support them with their delight and wonder in learning. And I think that's really beautiful um, verbiage because it tells me that, that there's a lot that I can do to help children that I can sit back or I can be engaged and make it really meaningful for them. Because mm -hmm. isn't that just what makes it, I mean, to me, that's like the spark of being with children is when you can get down on their level and you can see that, that wonder. Or I remember one time when I was hiking with my kids and we were at Vitavu, which has a lot of rock structures everywhere. And it's kind of nerve wracking as a parent, as you're watching your olders like climb and jump and me being like, be safe, be safe. And here's my three-year-old and she's looking at this rock and she's kind of petting it and just giggling. And so <laughs> I got down on her level and I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, mom, it's a doggy. Can you see it's a little doggy? And you could, when I get down her level, this rock looked just like a giant dog and she was feeding it pine cones. And, <laughs> and, it was, and so suddenly I switched from being worried parent to my children jumping off the rocks to parent who's actively engaged and enjoying this wonder and spark that my child sees in a rock. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like that, that to me is where it just becomes like, that's the beautiful moments. And if yeah. I can add to that, um, just the pausing I've learned as a parent and as a teacher, if 
kids often like our automatic response is, oh no, that's not safe. Or, oh, what they're doing something naughty, right? But really they have, it's not that. A lot of times it's not that. Like they're just being creative, they're exploring. And so I find that if you just pause for a second, do what Sarah said, get down on their level and ask them what they're doing, then all of a sudden what seemed unsafe or seemed like something that they were gonna get into that they shouldn't be, it had nothing to do with that. And then you actually learn from them. And I found, especially with my daughter, that if I pause, because she she's very motivated and very driven, and she <laughs> often it seems like she's up to something mischievous, but as soon as you ask her what she's doing, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, just kidding. That's actually very creative. You just go right ahead and continue doing what you're doing. <laughs> I really so, like this idea. Oh, oh sorry, Anna. Um, just what you're saying of like, to me, like that goes back to that term of value, like we're valuing their capabilities. And mm -hmm. so when we stop being so like feeling that need to control that, I think we sometimes do as adults that like, because they're children, they, they need me to tell them what's a good idea, bad idea. And we take that step back, like what you said, and just value, like, look at what they can do and they can do it. Whether I and guiding them or saying yes or no, like that children really, they, they, they have a lot of inner drive and ability to guide themselves. And so I think that that's where that engaging comes from is recognizing like, what can you do on your own? And then if I'm going to engage with you, how can I make it that much better? Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. And for me, not the overall, um, I guess, theme of the DAP personally for me is that every child is different. So yeah, we have developmental guidelines and we have, but not every child is going to fit in that. It doesn't mean there's even anything wrong with them. So acknowledging that they're, that every child is different and then being able to play to the strengths that they have to help them be better. Yeah. And I think even well touching on that, like even, even from a day-to-day -day basis, like what it looks like because sometimes you might have had a hard morning or where we talk about um, if you're switching homes from one parent to another, like one of the little um, little girls at my um, daughter's preschool, like sometimes she'll have a hard morning because she just now like she switched houses because she switched houses every week. And so sometimes it's just, mm -hmm. it's from the day to day. And from on a parent <laughs> view, that is something to just recognize that sometimes your kids are, at their best and doing their best. I mean, they're human beings. And <laughs> sometimes you have a hard morning or you get in a fight or you don't feel good or whatever it may be. And all those things affect, they can affect your learning. Mm -hmm. And I think the DAP really touches on that too. Like considering everything, you cannot put a child in a box. You cannot look at one thing. You've got to look at their culture. You've got to look at their home life. You've got to look at the way that they learn because some are tactile learners and others, you know, do, uh, do well with being able to just sit and listen. Like it just depends on the child. So it really is, I feel getting to know that child as a whole and looking across the whole board of everything. And it's funny because I was listening to the um, podcast as you were with Camille and, and I was thinking, like, this is amazing. And it's kind of exhausting. It takes practice because you become, and as you, the more you practice, the easier it becomes. But really like as a teacher, you are getting to know in depth 20 children and then fitting your curriculum to what they need specifically. Yeah. 
And that's incredible. I'm so glad you brought that up, Anna, because uh, that really gets at that this early childhood education is a specialized field that requires special specialized training to be good at this. What you just talked about is one of the most complicated things in the world and doing it with children that are so young that they can't even tell you their needs. They can't say those words to you sometimes about the things that they need. You can't just come in off the street and be good at that. Um, it requires the you know, some of the most significant training and understanding of human beings in the world to be able to do this work. And as, as you're th- talking about that too, Sarah, we you know with three kids of your own, you can see you're so blown away by that task. And then as Anna said, try to introduce 20 <laughs> and see how you do. Yeah. Great. Um, let's, there's a section in there about families that I think is so important. Um, it's one of the principles uh, the guiding principles. And it just talks about how significant it is that we need to have partnerships with families. And um, I was thinking about your perspectives as parents, you, you all have kids and you've had kids that are in other people's care, kids in school and those things. Um, and then, and then just in your professional work, let's think about the families piece for a minute. And I just want you to share. Um, they talk about reciprocal partnerships what's a reciprocal partnership with a family look like? Have you experienced that before? Um, How can we do that effectively? To me, it means you're a team with that family and that you value all of their input because they know their child best. So, Mm -hmm. and I'm lucky enough, I get to go into the homes. So I get 45 minutes to work with kids and talk to parents and know what's going on in their lives and how their child is doing and seeing, you know, celebrating the progress and trying to figure out maybe their regressions. And I believe that if you don't, if you don't have a relationship with the parents, you're not going to be able to help that child fully. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think too, this could be a really interesting um, balance because I think that the idea is often that like, when they're in my care, they're in my care. And when they're in your care, they're in your care. Mm -hmm. And so I think I like, I have felt that too, like some hesitancy from parents wanting to like, tell me what they're doing or how their kid's doing at home, because it's like, well, like, I don't want to mess up what you're doing. Like you do it, you do it your way. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's really important to understand as the educator and as the parent, like exactly what Anna said, that, that you're in this as a team that this isn't about your pride or looking weird for what you do in front of another adult. Like this is about your child and doing what's best for them. And I can, I can fumble through and try a bunch of things, trying to figure out what works best for your child. Or you could just tell me what works best for your child. And then I can start from there and then I can add maybe, Oh, I tried this and it worked really well here. And and then they try it. And Oh, you know, that, that worked good for us. And we also did like, like you can create a really, awesome symbiotic relationship where you just really need each other and all in the benefit of the child or you can keep doing it in your separate places and have the wave hello and goodbye as they come in and out the door and so I think it's important that you value that and and also that means making time for it because there isn't a lot of time at pick up and drop off times and so Mm -hmm. like you can get in some snippets there but there also needs to be some outside conversation yeah thanks Yes, I think I love that one. Um, then my favorite when teachers will reach out and say, tell me about your child or what do they like or what helps them feel comfortable. And then that also opens up 
that ability to have that conversation where when you're a parent, you're like, I don't know if I'm, I don't want to step on your toes or do like take over what you're teaching. It's really good for them to be like, no, I value your voice. And then we like, as parents, we value educators voices as well and say, this is something that's good for like, that's worked well for my child. And then to have feedback, to hear what, um, how it went, or if, uh, if a teacher gives me an idea that I can work on with my child. So my oldest kiddo, he had some grip problems and holding his pencil and that sort of a thing. And so to have the teacher involved and to give us exercises that we could do at home and not be like, we're gonna work on this at school too, and that's it. But to say, here's some things that you can do at home that's empowering as a parent as well, mm -hmm. because then you have, they're saying, we trust you to help your kid also, like that we are a team. I think those kind of conversations do create that relationship, like what you're talking about, Jim. Sarah and I were talking this morning about the importance of the parent support in for the educators. Mm -hmm. And that just like she was saying, when you get feedback from teachers, like, hey, you can be doing this at home. It's really helpful. I'm, I'm, I love teachers. I think that they're <laughs> yes. so amazing because their job is so tough. And I know that sometimes people can complain about the way that things are being run, but I feel that the support needs to come from home and the teachers are the ones that kind of continue that. And if you are working as a team, then your child gets it across the board instead of it being absolutely separate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I um, was just thinking about the amount of trust that it takes to really pull that off. And that those relationships are built over time. And it is something like Janae said, it does require time. And if we don't invest in it, then we just don't reap those benefits and our kids don't. But it's one of those things we talk about this in class, Anna, um, that when we, when we're short time, the things we tend to cut out um, in programs are those pieces, the relationship pieces, because we think we don't have time for it. And of all the things that we should fight to keep, it needs to be that those relationship pieces so that we can build that partnership. Yeah. yeah. Um, Camille said some things in my interview with her that I wanted to just get your feedback on. We touched on a little bit of this, but I wanted to dig a little deeper. So what I'm going to do is play a clip from Camille and then just ask you three to respond. In this part of our interview, Camille's talking about why the three core considerations of developmentally appropriate practice are so important. So let's just listen in. One of the things that the new position statement thoroughly embraces throughout the, the position is the idea that there are always three core considerations we need to be thinking about as we think about young children. And one of them is, what is it that we know about child development? And how might that apply to this child? That's what they refer to as commonality. And it's things like, what might we expect a two-year-old to know and be able to do? And then the second consideration is to really think about uh, the context of the child, which may have to do with family, may have to do with community, may have to do with like life circumstances. And then the third consideration is who is that child as an individual learner, which ranges from what are the things that interest and intrigue this child to what are the things that are really hard for this child to do? And how do we put those things together? And then here's where just the, the, the divine challenge of DAP comes, if you will. Not only do we need to think of those three things, 
but we also need to think about how to move towards supporting each and every child in ways that are playful, are fun-loving, are, are just that make learning delightful. But the, the emphasis in the new position statement on playful, engaged learning is stronger than it's ever been. It's just beautifully, beautifully written. All right, so Camille talked about the three core considerations and we, we have talked already about the importance of understanding the child as an individual. Those other two pieces though, I think are really important. Um, and that's just like developmental expectations, those commonalities pieces, and then um, understanding the, the child's context, the unique context they come from. So when you think about those three considerations that Camille talked about, and even, even um, what she mentioned about that, the, the kind of engaged joyful learning we want, um, anything that comes to mind that you want to share? One thing that I really liked as I was listening to it, she referred to those um, core considerations. Sorry, I forgot the word for that. The core considerations, she referred to them as a braid. And I thought that was cool because there's we that's said like the same thing. A braid <laughs> with this three. <laughs> but then I think too, like it, it should, like when you look at a braid, you don't look at an individual piece of hair that weaves through the braid. Like you, you just see the braid as a whole. And so I think that that's where like, as you practice this, that that's the goal is to be able to braid this into your curriculum so that it's just always in the back of your mind that you're always thinking about those three things, but that you're not like singling one out so much that that's all you focus on. So you see them all together and you use it braided throughout. So it's not like, I feel like it, this would take a lot of practice to get there um, because initially you have to keep it in the forefront of your brain so that you get good at it. But once you do, then I think you can always kind of keep it as like the pattern border around everything that you do. Mm -hmm. uh, so all the sisters love the braid analogy. Is that yes. what I'm thinking? <laughs> so but it's so true. I just think about, yeah, just looking at, like, for me, this is from a family setting, but knowing you like know knowing what your three-year-old is capable of and knowing what your seven-year-old is capable of and not trying to <laughs> do things and expect your three-year-old to do what the seven-year-old can doing and just how they are, like the context piece where they, how are they that day? And I just, I love this individual learner. I know we've been talking about it, but my son, he's someone who really loves to um, take his time and be very curious and my little girls are, they have a lot more like push and drive and let's make things a game. And so for us, when it's time to clean up a room and for me, I'm more on like the push drive end of things. And so I'm like, let's set a timer and see how many things we can clean up in five minutes. And the girls are like, yeah, and they're on board. And my son is in tears because he's not, that's not his idea of fun <laughs> or play or anything. And so just, um, meshing that as a family, but really respecting kids as individual learners and being able to let him clean up in a slower time period or in a, in a time that respects who he is as a person and still be able to make um, a game or a challenge for my other two. It's, it's it really, it's tricky, but it's so, it's so rewarding. I think that's what's so rewarding when you actually do figure that out, like, oh, who are you as an individual and how you're doing today? And with regards to how old you are, what can we do to make, make this your best life. That's mm -hmm. what we refer to a lot in our house is, are you living your best life? And so, <laughs> like, uh -huh. um, yeah, what you can do as an adult to bring kids to that level. I add on to what she's saying. I just think 
that being able to honor kids for who they are and where they are, my hope is like, that's one of my biggest thing as a parent and as an educator, that by doing that, these kids will learn up, learn, they will grow up with a better sense of self. Whereas there are things that I'm still trying to figure out as an adult, I hope to give them a jump start on that because they were honored who right, right where they were mm-hmm. at the time that they needed to be. I love that. I can't wait to see all your kids as they get older. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Give us 10 more years. Oh. <laughs> also, I love this idea, the idea of play and how important play is. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, I've been reading a book by Stuart Brown, who was originally, um, he was a, a violence researcher. Like he was trying to be researched why people end up becoming violent criminals. Mm-hmm. And one of his main findings is that they weren't allowed to play as children. And so he switched his area of study from violent criminals to play and how it's actually just a part of our biology. Like you, you watch animals and they play and they're, I mean, their world is surrounded. They need food and survival. Like that's their main functions, but that they take time to play, that it's actually something that uh, we need, we need as human beings. And if you can, foster that as kids and then learn how to know that that's not just what kids do, but that's just part of being a a human and an adult. And so I think it's just really important. It's not just kids need to play. It's human beings need play to function correctly in their life. (laughs) That's amazing. Tell us, tell our listeners what book, what's this book? Um, I, I think it's called the science of play, but it's Stuart Brown is the, yeah, yeah. that's great. And this is the sister that's not in early childhood, people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, that's amazing. I really liked Sarah's personal example of like looking at each of her different kids and how she went through the three different um, core considerations with each child. Because I think there's so much of that different within just that. And that just got my wheels turning of like the kids that are in my program right now. Like, how could I do that same thing with each of them? So I think it comes down to a lot of taking some time to reflect and recognize like the differences you see during the day and then maybe digging a little deeper of like why does that kid do that differently or why is this kid behaving that way like what's causing that is there something from behind and that's a good place to get the parents involved because you can't really know someone's culture without discussing what they do in their home so Mm -hmm. we I think there's a lot of value to to knowing where you're at like knowing what what your culture is what you do that is different like what we call them unwritten rules but the things that this is just normal and this is just how like the way that things are and it's tricky to recognize sometimes when it's just that's who you are and how you've been raised and so sometimes it's a little trickier to understand what what is your culture until you start to see other people's and then instead of looking at their culture with that judgment of what you're doing is wrong or weird, but maybe looking at it instead with curiosity, like, oh, that is different than what I do. Why do they do it that way? Why is that something, a place where you operate from that seems so different from me? But sometimes mm-hmm. it's understanding like where, where do I come from so that I can understand where you come from. Yeah. Sarah took mine. Well, sorry. <laughs> Nikki has been having us in class do a lot of reflecting on this exact um, subject and 
it has been amazing for me because I have been able to dig deep into what my beliefs are, what my culture is. And now I've started to think about how, not only how, like what my perception is of these families I'm working with, but also what is their perception of me? Like, what can I do better so that maybe they're not uncomfortable with me? Because one of the examples is like Sarah and I were talking about, um, I'm an expressive talker. My facial expressions, my hands, like I'm very expressive. And there are people I work with who are not. And I, it's harder for me. Like, I don't know how to read their facial expressions and their body language because they're not expressive. And so my mind is kind of freaking out thinking, what's going on? I don't know how to read this person. But then it kind of twists, like turned it around and thought, well, I wonder if I'm making them uncomfortable because I am so expressive. So I think just like what Sarah was saying, that being able to look, look at yourself first and figure out what your beliefs are, what your values are, where you stand, and then you're able to approach that relationship with the families that you are working with, with the curiosity. I love that. Yes, thank you. Any thoughts about that, Janae, how you do this? Um, well, I sh shared some and then I, I would also add to Sarah and I were talking about the idea of actually having an open mind. Sarah's obviously the conversation starter in our family. <laughs> 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 I bring uh, up a little controversial. She does. <laughs> <laughs> but we were talking about the idea of like, of legitimately having an open mind and how that's that's something that we all, like most humans would say, I'm very open-minded when like a lot of times you're really not. And I think that goes like the developmentally appropriate practice really points out the need to identify those biases that we might have. And that goes back to being able to actually have an open mind so that when people are, when you're um, digging into other people's cultures and their context and who they are as an individual and where they're at, um, that you can, step back and say like, that might not be how I do it, but I'm glad and I value that that's how you do it. And that it makes you happy or supports you or whatever that is. I think it's important that we, that we take this step of working with young children with a very open mind. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Um, one of the things Camille said in our interview, uh, I'm just, that I think relates to what you're talking about. Mostly I'm thinking about you all talking about these ideas with each other and how important that is for you. I asked Camille um, if she, what advice she would give a new early childhood educator. And um, she gave an answer that I did not expect, which was to find someone to mentor you or talk to or have a relationship with to help you along. And I thought that was such a really powerful answer that her response isn't, you have to do this one thing right, or you need to think about this one thing in this way. It was find someone to support you. So that may, that led me back to your Sunday sister chats thing that you all do for each other. Um, and I, I, I just wanted you to talk a little bit about your experience with collaborating as sisters or with anybody else in the field that you've gone to. I mean, our listeners are often, they're probably listening to this podcast in their car or at their home, and they probably don't have very much contact with other early childhood educators. Um, and that's a thing that we really need to change in our state. We need to connect people to each other. But um, just tell us a little bit about your experience learning together and collaborating as you, as you grow. I think 
oftentimes, basically every time we get together and we talk and I get done and I'm like, oh, I'm so recharged. And we do a lot of times we talk about how like stuff with our kids and the things that we want to teach our kids and the things that works for us. And so it's so good to hear wisdom. And then it's also good, I think, to have this piece of the the feeling of me too, like, yeah, that is really hard or yeah, that is a, a complicated thing. And so we're able to share ideas, which we always, there's things that we, I feel like we always learn from each other that we didn't mm -hmm. think of before, or maybe one sister is having more of a struggle in one area that we feel like we've gotten a little bit more of a hang of. And so just this idea of knowing that there's people who are sharing your mission of raising awesome human beings and changing the world <laughs> mm -hmm. and then you're done with that conversation and you're ready you're ready to go you have that recharge of i i want to do this and mm -hmm. i can do this instead of being like i am all alone and drowning in my mm -hmm. ambition <laughs> yeah. it's true i agree with everything sarah says i'll kind of go from a work standpoint i because this job is brand new to me and it has been amazing. The people I work with are amazing. It is hard for me to ask for help. And it's hard mm -hmm. for me to collaborate, not with my sisters, <laughs> but with other, with other people. Um, only because actually sometimes I have to think really why it is. Sometimes I'm too scared to ask or say, you know, it just mm -hmm. depends. We're all human. But um, I love the collaboration because I feel like you're getting I only have one piece of the puzzle. And so when I go to say an OT, because I need help with maybe a child who is having, um, who has some sensory stuff going on. Yeah. So that OT has a piece of the puzzle. And then I go to another special educator and talk to her. She has another piece. So that is what collaboration does. So when I don't ask for help and I don't ask questions, then I'm actually doing more harm than good, I feel. Mm -hmm. Because I only have one piece of the puzzle. That's not going to make a picture and it's not going to help the child that I'm working with. So I believe that having that, that I love collaboration, even though it's hard for me to like start the collaboration conversation, mm -hmm. I guess you could say. Yeah, I love that image, uh, pieces of the puzzle. It's really nice. Um, and you're working on collaborative teams with kids with special needs. This is hard work that you're doing. And then you all need each other a lot to make that happen. Absolutely. Um, Janae, you're, you are by yourself at your house with your kids. Uh, how, how are you surviving? How do you do this? Um, so I will say that I'm, I'm a pretty like do it myself. That's kind of how I roll. But this mm -hmm. last year I had a baby. And so I took some maternity leave and um, the ECPLC has put out so many awesome, like different things, the echo sessions. And then my favorite thing that I did during that time though, was I joined a book study with Char and it was like life-changing for me because it's one of those things, like, I don't often sit down and think like, all I want to do is read a textbook. Um, but because I committed to it, that was what I was going to do. And it was so good. And I, I gained so much from it. And like, it gave me that little push of like, this is something you have to do because you committed to it. And so it got me reading into things that, that matter. And then being able to join in the book study with things that I'd learned and also to share things that like how I was using it in my practice or how other people were using. It was just really empowering to be able to throw out some of my ideas and have other people acknowledge like that is a good idea more than just me telling myself it's a good idea. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that was something that like, I feel like prior to that, I, I honestly wasn't partaking a lot of in collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that I've experienced it and that me and my sisters have started this chat thing that they invited me to. And I was so grateful because I feel like it was something, a piece that I've been missing in mm-hmm. my life and in my work. And it just has really been something that's made, made a big difference for me and help, helped me want to be better. I love that. Thanks, Janae. And thanks for the shout out to the Professional Learning Collaborative. And I just want to share with listeners that in your region, you have a a facilitator who would love to connect you with other educators. And one of the tools that we've been using a lot lately, because it's really resonated with early childhood educators is to do book studies together. So what book did you do, Janae? Um, It was one about play. I can't remember the name. And Uh then I did another one about like the seven most important things for your kids to know or Something. Fantastic. That's great. <laughs> Thanks. Um, okay, ladies, we're getting ready to wrap things up a little. I just have a couple of final questions for you all. The first one I'd love to hear from each of you. What do you hope for most for young children and families in Wyoming? I'll give you a minute to think about that. And then just when you know, just feel free to jump in. Um, I'll be- back to where I started. Like my, my greatest desire right now is for um, people to feel valued, to know that they're honored somewhere. And, and for me, that means like that they, they sense that from me, but I also really want to help children know how to do that for each other. And so that's something we, that I try to reiterate a lot for my kids is that, that the people are a lot more important than the things. And so that is something that I hope for families that they can recognize that within their family and for the families around them and with their children and for the children around them that, that we need each other, that people's what's matter and that as we value and honor each other where we're at and for who we are, that that's how we're gonna make a better world. Thanks. I think one of the things that I feel really strongly about is the idea of belonging and just being whoever, whoever you are that you belong as that person on this planet among human beings and we need you. And I think that does mimic a lot of what Janae said, but this, my hope is that we can find, like create the type of environment that where people belong regardless of their background or their thoughts or their idiosyncrasies, like all of that, that it's not something that we have to deal with, but something that is celebrated. I will echo what my sisters say (laughs) in a few different words, I guess. Um, For me, it's acceptance, like accepting that we are all where we are doing the best that we can with what we have. And if we can approach any relationship, whether we're work, home, whatever it is, with that knowledge, I feel like it helps to create the open mind. And I feel acceptance is, it would do so much <laughs> if we could just accept people exactly where they are with what they have. And I also would like families to know that there's support. There's a lot of support out there. And sometimes you don't know where to find it. Mm-hmm. And so maybe making resources more available Uh, or even the knowledge of resources more available. So that just as we were talking about the collaboration, I mean, Janae brings the stuff that she learns from the early childhood stuff into our conversations. 
on Sunday and then it like changes my world. <laughs> One sentence changes my world and that, that I get something new to, to work on and to think about for the week. And so it, I just feel like there is support out there for everyone. And even if it starts with a podcast that might lean, you know, it might lead to something different. So those are the things that I would, I feel are most important. Thanks. Yeah. And if you, I mean, I'm just sitting here in awe of you three and um, thinking that I need to meet your parents. Uh, if you're wondering, like, yeah. <laughs> if you're wondering that, like, if you, what you're trying to do, if you're a parent right now listening to this with your kids, like what you can create, like, just think about you three, like, and I haven't met your two brothers, but I'm sure I would think they're amazing. Um, but just like, what can happen if you, if you approach kids in this really magnificent way where you value them and then what that means about the difference that they can make in the world. So it's pretty incredible what you three are doing. Um, and I do, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to meet your parents. <laughs> <some point. laughs> um, this is a professional learning podcast. So we always end with this question. Um, and so you've shared a ton that you've been learning, but what's something new that you've learned lately? It does not have to be about kids. It can be about anything, but just something new that you've learned. Um, this is kind of random, but I was reading this really awesome article about the benefits of drinking water. And one of them was about, I'm a terrible water drinker. That's probably why it was so intriguing to me. Uh, but it was talking about like the benefits of it. And one of them was that it's supposed to like increase your energy levels and like those feelings of fatigue and stuff are supposed to be tampered when you drink enough water. So that has been my goal lately is to intake more water so that I can feel rejuvenated. That's amazing. I love it. <laughs> I'm going to go next. So Sarah oh, doesn't steal last word. <laughs> I know she did. Uh, I have learned recently the importance of meditation and being still. Did I take it? No, you didn't. Oh, That's good. so good. That's the, like, the because I feel like I run a million miles an hour all day long. Mm -hmm. And my personality is much like Sarah's son. I run my energy runs a little slower than what I am actually required to be doing all day long. So uh -huh. that, um, just being still and what it does for your brain, how it gets rid of gray matter and helps you have more white matter, which makes things more clearly connect in your brain. So that's, that's been my big learning, I guess, in the last month. We did a challenge. Yeah. And I to meditate every day. And it made a huge difference. It does. Yep. It really That's does. Amazing. So mine is mine is less specific. Um, I think I'm always I love diving into learning about early childhood and children in general, just because that's not my my primary field of study. Like that's mm -hmm. what I do in my home. And so I love in a healthcare setting, I'm always struck by how much people's health is impacted by their childhood experience. And so it really, it really ties these two together for me because I'm taking <laughs> this, like look at how much your health becomes and changes and your brain development and anxiety and all these things that we dispense medication for and how it can be completely changed just based on um, your experience as a tiny human. <laughs> And so I think it, it empowers me to do more and want to help children more because then that is changing the world for
for when they become adults and how they their actual health like how that affects your body in general yeah that's incredible wow thanks ladies that was amazing i think we may i don't know and i'm just thinking you might you you all might need your own podcast just keep it going (laughs) all the wisdom with the nikki i found that book it's just called it's by Stuart brown it's just called play and then it's how it shapes the brain opens the imagination and invigorates the soul perfect want to put that in somewhere yeah sarah we do we want to share that with everybody well um thank you ladies i just can't thank you enough for taking the time on your vacation uh to talk to me today this was truly a pleasure and honestly so much fun um i can't wait to share your wisdom with the world we'll talk again about future podcasts because i'm just like not ready to let this go Um, (laughs) and thank you listeners for joining us on voices from the village This podcast is made possible with support from the Federal Preschool Development Grant, and it's produced by the University of Wyoming Early Childhood Outreach Network. We recorded our interview today on Zoom, and special thanks to our Voices from the Village producer, Bryce Tugwell. Take care.